Happy New Year, guys. Right. So it's awesome. Um, it's a privilege to, to preach all, always. Um, but it's a privilege to preach at the beginning of the year to set the pace, to set the tone for what, what we're going into for, for 2019. And uh, um, Dan and Stala on on vacation. They send their love. And uh, we're holding the fort, and we're doing a good job of it. Right? So... Yeah, Dan and Stella can take another week. It's fine. Yeah. So um, I just felt I've, I've been praying and I've been asking God, what do you what do you really want to say to us? Really, what where where do we start this year? And uh, the verse or the the parable that God gave me is one of those things that you kind of skip over when you're reading because it just you know it doesn't it doesn't really hit you that unless you really go deep into it and there's two parables that I've that God, God um as I was praying God the Holy Spirit laid on my heart um and I'm go through that with you um last week when we were when, when we were um when we were in prayer meeting before the meet, before the service began Kaz said something she said please replace our resolutions with revelation right and we have a tendency to make New Year resolutions. How many of you have made a New Year resolution? Can I see a show of hands? Awesome. Me too. But the thing about resolutions is it's kind of a behavior modification thing, right? You want to change the way you've been behaving. So you're going to, ch- you're going to get on a new diet. I went and uh, because I've been eating like a little piggy for the last, since the 20th, I think. Just... Everything, you know, like, you know, you're usually careful about things, but all that, all the filters went straight out the window, and it's been like mince pies, and it's been all the things that are, you know, haram, as they say, right? The ham and everything. So, <laughs> so it has to stop sometimes. So then New Year's comes, and you're like, I'm starting fresh today. So um, while that is great, I, what, what I think that what we really need is to have a plan and a, and, a, and a strategy for the year. And, what, and So my preachers are really, if you don't mind putting up the slide, what did Jesus say about kingdom strategy? What, did, what does Jesus say about the strategy for your life? And the two verses um, both refer, this is Matthew chapter 25. If you have it in your Bibles, you can look up, other, otherwise it will be coming behind me. Talk about Jesus' second coming. And that's quite relevant. It's very relevant. But that's not my main focus here, although I, I will emphasize the importance of that. Okay? Uh, let's just look at Matthew, verse, uh, Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. And this is the parable of the virgins or the bridesmaids. Right? So, um, he's, he, he starts by saying... Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. In some versions it says ten bridesmaids. Who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. For when the, lamp, for the, when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will, be, there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. 
And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other ten other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you, neither know, you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, this is something we can gloss over because it's kind of, you need to, if you don't understand the context of what, where Jesus is coming from, it's kind of difficult to, to glean what he's trying to tell you here. Yes, we need to be prepared. I mean, that, that is the crux of it. But let me give you the context. Um, because this is, this, if, you, if, you, if you grab, if you capture the context, if you capture the crux of where Jesus is coming from and what he's saying, because you can extrapolate. And I, Ryan and I had a discussion where, you know, the, the oil is the Holy Spirit and the, the bridegroom is Jesus and the bride, you know. This is, keep in mind, there are key things here that we kind of glean over and, don't, and, and not really catch. One, these are virgins. This is not the bride herself. These are bridesmaids that Jesus is referring to. He's actually referring to a wedding. And he's not going deep into the symbolism here, but rather he's trying to make a point. Um, let me give you the cultural significance. Jewish weddings were usually held in the evening, after sunset. So at the rise of the evening star is when the wedding started, right? So that's the first thing that we need to understand. That's why they need a lamp. The second point is that there was no light like we understand. So if you can picture absolute darkness, the only light that you had was the lamp that you had in your hand. Right? And we, are, we, we, we take things so much for granted that we are so used to ambient light. We are so used to not, light pollution. You go out in the desert, you can still see light because it's coming off Dubai's hundreds of megawatts of power that's still burning in the distance. So you, you, you can't really see the Milky Way because there's, there's light pollution. But here, this is absolute pitch black. So the only light that you had was a lamplight. Um, do you have a picture of the, of the virgins? Yeah, so that's what they look like. They were all dressed already for the wedding. And there was a, there's a cultural significance that the, the bridesmaids went to greet the bridegroom as he came. And it was kind of like a welcoming committee that, you know, uh, a welcoming, yeah, uh, a group of people to go and welcome and bring the bridegroom in. And so that was an honoring that was involved. If you didn't have a light, you couldn't see the face of the girl who was going. So the whole point was lost, right? So you needed to have the lamp. And the, traditionally the lamps that you just saw a picture, that's the typical lamp that they held. And that lamp held, held enough oil for about three to four hours. Okay? So once that went out, you needed to refill it. And this is the point that Jesus is making. Were they prepared? One group of people were prepared with exit. So they had, they had made a plan. We will run out, if we could run out of oil, we need to have extra. And so they prepared, they prepared the wicks and so on. Um, whoops, I just switched. Sorry. So the oil in, in so the oil that they burned was olive oil, so it had a certain fragrance, right? And and um, after three to four hours, the, lamp, the oil would burn out, so that you'd have to refill it, and. 
by the time that the bridegroom actually came, it was midnight. So the bridegroom was delayed. So they all fell asleep. And by the time that he did arrive, some all, their lamps were going out. So they didn't need to read. So it says that they trimmed their lamp. A poorly trimmed wick creates a flame which is dim and smoky. A properly trimmed wick should, not, should come to a rounded point and should be wedge-shaped. When lit, the wick should burn cleanly all the way up with the highest flame it can make. So that's what it means to be trimmed. It's interesting that the Bible has key words that we just don't need. If you look into it, there's so much meaning and so much picture language in there. So they trimmed their, they trimmed their wicks so that they could prepare and they had the best light as they go and greet the, uh, greet the bridegroom. And five of them, the other five didn't have the oil, and they asked for the oil, so they said, go, go buy some. And when they went, that's the time that the bridegroom came. When the bridegroom came from a distance, the tradition was to, to cry out and announce his arrival from a distance. And that's why they said there was a, mid, there was a cry. Let me read that again to you. Um, but at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, right? But the wise answered. And while they were going to buy, the, uh, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to, to the marriage feast. So there is, the, the point that I want to make here is twofold. Um, the difference between the, the wise and the foolish is that the wise were prepared, and they had a strategy. Right? They, had, they had prepared and they had a strategy. And the foolish had procrastinated and were trying to... And, and basically, the picture that the Holy Spirit laid on my heart is in a lot of things that we do, we try to make a plan when we face the issue. We'll, you know, we have a thing in an English saying, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Right? And a lot of our lives are built around that, that philosophy. That, you know, once we get there, we'll make a plan. We'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. I, I tend to say that a lot of times. But actually, what God wants us to do is to look forward and make a plan now to be prepared to have all the resources with us so that when the opportunity comes, we're ready. The problem is that when opportunity comes and you're not ready, it just passes you by. The reason that the bridegroom, bridegroom says, I do not know you, if you think about it in, a, in the most simplistic terms, is that the bridesmaids are not his friends. They're friends of the bride. He doesn't know them. So he doesn't open the door. In that time, the doors were shut and locked because people would be taken for ransom because there's a lot of wealth involved in a wedding. So they shut the doors and it's just the people who are invited. So you miss that opportunity in, in life even if you're not prepared. Right? I think we, we forget that God has created us with a plan and a purpose. Each of us have a destiny. And it's really easy to miss that and go along with our own plans and our own purposes because the way life, you know, we've got so much white noise in our lives. Right? We got the worst thing I think that Apple did to us is give us an iPhone. Right? It's true. Nushi always says, you know, you're, 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 all of us, including in, in, all of us in the family, are always texting and chatting and whatever. And if you think about it, if you look at it in a train, if you look at it in an auditorium, if you give people five minutes 
Their eyes will go down to their phone. Right? And so our, we've been reduced to, to, look, to basically being captivated by this one thing. And we've, we've basically traded in relationships, conversation, over a dinner table, over a family meal, because our cell phone is demanding. And WhatsApp is even more demanding. It's asking you to reply immediately. Everybody who sends you a WhatsApp sees that you've got the two blue ticks and you haven't replied. Some people switch that off, but they still, you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, we, we, we live in this, in this society, in, and if you look at it from 10 years ago to now, it's such a big shift. And our, our attention is focused on, on, elect, on, on media or what, uh, on screen time, really. And our kids are also sucked in by the same thing. We stop interacting with each other. And what that, what that does to us is it kind of inoculates us from what's really important and what, you know, what setting goals, what's important in our lives, what are the important relationships. We don't even look into those things. And I think here is, here is the point that I wanted to make. So when making a plan requires us to set some goals for the year. So that's a little different from setting up a resolution. A resolution, like I said, is a behavior modification. Goals involves asking God what's really important for your life. Resetting those things and putting those things in place. Number one is uh, seek ye the king, the, first the kingdom. How much of that is true for you on a consistent basis? I know it's not true for me on a consistent basis. I try to do the things that I need to do. I, I, think, I think we as an eldership team are sold on the fact that this, we have a heart for this city and for, the, for this community. And that's a, that's a real priority in our lives. But, it's, but we get, you know, we, everyone gets waylaid. And so it's really important to put the first things first. And if you don't do that, when, you, know, you miss the opportunities to connect with people. You miss opportunities for success. Even in your work. If you don't have a strategy. Any engineer, I'm, I, I'm actually, you, know, you guys know me as a banker. But I'm, I'm trained as an engineer. I just chose banking because engineering just seemed... A little boring after a while. So, um, not to say banking is that exciting. <laughs> but, 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 but I meet interesting people from, uh, with the job that I do. Now, what I want to say about engineering is, and, and architecture, is that you make a blueprint of something that you're going to build long before you go to the lathe or, the, in, in, and, or to the machine shop and, make, and build it out. So you, you have a plan, you draw out the plan, you figure out everything, you have something AutoCAD, which you can kind of simulate how everything is going to work, what's going to break, where the tensions are, and so on and so forth. And the beauty of that is it helps you kind of plan out and um, diagnose, if you like, or, or estimate where the problems are going to come up. And so then you would stock up on, on the lamp oil because that's when you know that you're going to run out because it's going to last you so long. So you've got a plan. You have, a, you have an idea. But the problem is that the way our modern life is, we don't really plan those things. If you run a company, if you run a company like Apple, yesterday Apple issued a profit warning. The reason being that China is not selling, China is not buying as many iPhones as they thought they would. But all these companies are obliged to do that. The reason being because they have a strategic plan and they are obliged to tell the investors, hey, we don't think we can sell as many iPhones as we thought we could. 
So everyone needs to have a plan, and, a, and that's really important. So I can't emphasize this more, that you need to have a plan in your life put into place so you can, you're positioned for success. So this is important in your spiritual life, this is important in your career, this is important in your family. If you don't put those things into place, you're going to miss the boat. The second thing is... The second verse, if, if you, um, I just want to give an example. We, you know, we've all been praying for Mike, Mike Eltringham, who's, who's, who was uh, the lead pastor at Well of Life Church, um, Dan and Starlan, even Nushi and I, we served under his leadership. And he's a great man of God, and he put God first in everything. But, you know, he had recently he had an aneurysm, and he's been in a coma for the last, since the 23rd, we've been praying as a church. And yesterday, we praised God that we saw some signs of hope. That he, 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 twi- he moved, he, he tracked his eyes and he twitched his hand, which for us was a huge glimmer. You know, God is a prayer answering God. And we continue to, to, to pray for, for Mike's complete and total recovery. What I wanted to say is this. Mike made a plan for his wife, Charmaine, in terms of her finances. He's written out everything in detail. The accounts, the account numbers, where to go, what to do. I just think that's amazing wisdom. And it's a simple thing. But I don't think us men here or us ladies ever th- actually put those things into practice. And that's the, that's the thing about being prepared with the oil, you know? Making a plan, having a plan and putting it into action. Okay, the second thing um, is about having an eternal perspective. We live life like we live for 70 years, 90 years, if you're lucky, 101, right? I think uh, in our family we have uh, Adisha's related to us and Nushi and we have grandparents that have kind of lived into the 90s. We're kind of hopeful, right? <laughs> But my point is this. Our lives are not limited by 80 or 90. I'll tell you a really interesting side story. Up to the time of the flood, if you look at the lifespan of everybody, they were living up to like 800 years. Did you ever realize that? That up to the time of the flood, everyone lived to 860 years and 680 years and so on. Was, you know. And suddenly after the flood, it, was, it just dropped to 120 years. The reason is that the environment changed so significantly that when the firmament collapsed, because there was no rainbow before the flood, because that was a sign that was given to Noah, there was no rain because everybody laughed at Noah when he was building a boat on top of a hill for no reason. Right? So when there was actually a firmament, it was like a bubble outside the earth that collapsed and flooded the earth. The point being that Everyone's lifespan dropped to 120 years. We've now taken that and it's obviously reduced over the years. But our whole perspective is we tend to default to 80, 70, 90 years, something something around that depending on your life expectancy and family history and how much you, you know, how you eat and smoke and drink and all those things all affect everything, right? The point is... God's perspective is an eternal perspective. We live here as a preparation for where, what God is actually taking us to. We've actually kind of escaped from that. We've, we've allowed ourselves to just forget about the importance of living it with an eternal perspective. That's why what, what Bruce said is, even on the tithes and offerings, you're actually making an eternal investment. Right? Right? 
This is this this is the only thing that counts. Nushi and I were walking the other day around on the first. Was it first that we did a walk around uh, the, where we live? And it said, um, "Enjoy life because you're not taking anything with you when you go anyway." Right? We just what? Oh, oh yeah. You don't get out alive, right? <laughs> so we, it was over someone. Uh, there's like a signboard on someone else's uh, in in someone's neighborhood that we just kind of saw over the wall. And it's true. You don't you don't take any of this stuff with you. The only thing that you take is your eternal reward and how faithful you've been. Right? Um, how am I for time? Right? Okay. Can we just get to the second verse that I wanted to go through? So this is Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to, to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded, it with them, traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also said to he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have scattered no seed? Question mark. It's not as, he's not confirming that that's his character. He's questioning the accusation. Okay, just to be clear. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, who, who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. For, for, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we've all heard the parable of the talents, right? Anyone who hasn't, put your hand up. Right. The, ta- the, the parable of the talents, uh, it's, it's something that's preached often. But the, there's one thing that I want to emphasize. You know, when, you, when we think of a talent, we think of a coin. Is that right? Is that the reality is a talent is a unit of measure. And one talent is equal to 35 kilograms of gold. Right? One gram of gold, if you can put that up, is $41.499 as of yesterday. 
one gram. Thousand grams, one kilogram is forty-one thousand four hundred and ninety-nine dollars. One talent is one point five million dollars. Five talents is seven million dollars. Right? It's a lot of money. That changes your perspective immediately, right? If you had 1.5, you know, you're thinking, oh, what did I do with this coin? But you go, ooh, I got $1.5 million. So it's like, oh, that's a big difference. So now your whole motivation, the action that you take, you have a little gold coin and like, what do I do with it? But, oh, I have five coins. Okay, but here you've got like five sacks of money. You've got to make a plan. And that's why he goes immediately and he starts trading. Because he's set up for success. Even the guy with one talent is set up for success. The first thing I want to say is God is not a communist or a socialist. Because otherwise he'd give everybody equal. Right? God gives according... Let's go back to the verse if you don't mind. He gives according to their ability. Because some people are more trustworthy than others. And some people are not destroyed by what's placed in their hand. Does that make sense? Some, you, you know, sometimes you pray prayers, Lord, bless me. But God says, man, I'm going to bless you slowly because I need your character to grow with your blessing. Because if, you're, if, if you can't, if your character can't contain the blessing, the blessing will destroy you. It will change who you are. Immediately you switch to buying all these fancy things and lose sight of what's really important. Because the problem is that if you get the blessing too fast, you'll, the purpose of the blessing will be lost. And you'll be like the guy who you know, goes and spends on all his, on his friends and ends up in a pigsty. That's because he didn't have the character to contain the blessing that his father gave him. Although he got the blessing out of, out of time in the sense that it was not his time to receive the blessing, but he demanded it of his father, the prodigal son. We remember that. And he took everything that the father had, but he didn't have the capacity or the character to carry the blessing. And the reason that God won't sometimes bless us is because we are not positioned in our heart space in a way that we can responsibly carry the blessing. Right? So God wants to bless us. Don't get me wrong. God wants to bless you with five talents. But are you in a place to receive it? And will that change your identity? Because the problem with people who win a lottery is they go and bust it up, they get drunk, and they gamble. They want more. or they, I mean, they're just completely destroyed. You can't think of one person who's won a lottery and been able to sustain it. Not documented historically. Why? Because they never had the, the, the ability to manage money properly. The key thing here is that God will bless you with more, if you can be trusted with the little. And God has placed in each of us something that is of value. Right? In this coming, you're walking into 2019. And the thing is, the two I'm putting the two parables together now real quick. One is about being prepared and strategic. If you don't have a plan, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to miss the opportunities. You're going to miss Jesus when he comes back. But the second one is that you, that most people, and I'm not acute, I'm not laying anything on you guys, but this is all our, this is our, our current thinking, our cultural thinking, is that we are waiting for an event to start making a plan. 
You're waiting to win the lottery so you can make the plan. You're waiting for the big deal to happen so you can start making a plan. Right? And then when it does happen, you have forgotten what you already have in your hand. So God, you know, it's a simple, I mean, you guys know this. I'm just putting language around what you already know, what is common sense. You're not going to trust your child, uh, someone who works for you with more responsibility if they can't handle the small responsibility that you give them. You know this for a fact. And this is the same principle. How can you be trusted with a lot if you can't be trusted with a little? And so it's important that we look at what's in our hand now. Look at what God has placed in terms of your area of influence. And you're faithful with that. And then God is going to answer all the prayers. What, what Tara came and pray, asked, said this morning, we've been sowing and sowing and sowing. But we have something in our hand. And God wants to bless us. God wants to increase us. He wants to give you an increase. That's his heart. God is not a God of lack. God is a God of abundance. He's not poor. Everything is in his hand. He can do anything you ask. Right? Patty, can you come up? Thanks. Um, He can give you everything that you ask for. The problem is, what are you doing with what you have? Are you being faithful? Are you being diligent? Are you being are, are you able to actually take an account of what's what responsibility you have? Where is and, and, and in terms of the other thing I want to I, I just want to leave you with is this God has a plan and a purpose for each of us. We know that. But we can get stuck in this rat race of Dubai where we're you know earning a little bit more money, putting a little bit more aside, going on a vacation. And is that all that your next year is going to look like? Oh, that's horrible. Because at the end of 2019, you're going to look back, it's just going to look exactly the same. One more you know, Instagram photograph from one exotic place and that's it. Or is it going to count for something? Are you going to count in people's lives? Are you going to make a change in the business that you're placed in? Are you impacting the people around you? Those are the things that God's really interested in. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you in with His kingdom? Are you in the kingdom? Are you operating in the kingdom? Yeah, if you can all stand up, I'd like to pray. And I'd like to lead you in a prayer for the new year. If you can all close your eyes. I just want to ask you, do you want to reset this year? Is this your year? Is this, the, is this the point that you want to reset everything so that you can have what, what's really the desires of your heart? And are the desires of your heart really in line with what God really has for you? And if that's you, I'd just like you to come up. We're going to pray for you, right? And we want, we want to pray a prayer of blessing for 2000, 2019. If that's you, just come on up. Don't, don't be shy. There's plenty of leaders here. We're, we're happy to pray for you guys. Come on up. God has awesome plans for you this year. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I have a plan to prosper you, to give you a hope, to give you a future. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. 
that Lord, you you can do exceedingly abundantly. Lord, you can change our whole life this point on. You can change it right this moment. So Lord, as we come here, we make a commitment. We make a commitment to change our behavior, but more importantly, our heart. So Lord, that we can put you first. And Lord, that you can guide us in everything. The Holy Spirit, that you will guide us with strategy, with understanding, with faithfulness. And Lord, with perspective. And I pray, Lord, that even as you do that, that you would, Lord, bless us as we go forward. Lord, bless us with opportunity. Bless us with insightfulness, with new ideas, with wisdom, and Lord, with accountability. We ask this in your matchless and awesome name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.